So I have a hot, still, muggy night to talk about sin. I think that's fitting. Except when I lived in Alaska, I wanted to move from Alaska. Not because, I mean, Alaska is one of the most beautiful spots in the world, right? I mean, if you, how many of you have been there? Right? I mean, I lived on an island south of Juneau and whales and eagles and just pristine, you know, everything's pristine. But I like humidity. I'm weird. Tonight is my ideal night. I like it hot and thick. I like to lift down on my arm and see mosquitoes stuck to it. It's just, I don't know. I love this. So I'm glad that I got tonight. I hope for the speaker next week it's 70 degrees and water back here and, you know, everyone's, but this, this is perfect for me. It probably will make me talk too long because I'm in a good mood. But we are going to be talking about the doctrine of man. If you have a Bible or you have one on your phone, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, so you can click there, open there. And uh, I was thinking about this. This is really an important topic for our life right now. You know, a few weeks ago, as you probably all of you know, a guy goes into a church, South Carolina, sits through a Bible study, then at the end of the study pulls out a gun, starts shooting people, Right? Why did he do it? Well, he said he did it because he was a racist and he wanted to start a race war. He was hoping riots would break out. You think, wow, what went wrong that that guy could think that that's a good thing to do? Like that's plan A. Like he would wake up and say, hey, I got this great idea. Let's go into a church and kill people. Like what went wrong that would make him think that? You know, in the morning when I look at the news and I see what happened while I slept overnight in other parts of the world, you discover some terrorist groups taking hold of somebody and drag them out to a beach somewhere and cut their heads off because they don't believe the same thing that, 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 that these terrorists believe. You think, what went wrong that people would get up and think, hey, I got an idea. In order to promote our beliefs, let's cut the heads off of people who don't believe what we believe. Like, what went wrong that would make people do that and think that? I'm a pastor, been a pastor for 25, 27 years, and, and, and I've been doing it long enough to know that there's a lot of homes that have a lot of stress inside them, right? There's a lot of homes where husbands and wives aren't getting along, and maybe they put on a front that everything's good in their life, but in reality, it's pain in the home. And they can't get along, and they can't solve their problems. I don't think when two people stand at the altar on their wedding day, there's, they say in their vows, I vowed to grow so bitter towards you that I won't forgive you, and finally I'll leave in a bitter divorce. Right? You don't hear those words. You, no one gets married to end it that way. But it happens, doesn't it? Right? I mean, I could keep going down the way. We live in a, a culture that's confused what is a man? What is a woman? How do we even define those terms anymore? We have confusion. What is marriage? Who can get married? How do you define marriage? We, we live in a culture that's confused about our identity, confused about how to get along, confused at, at how do we treat each other. Right? This is a really big topic, isn't it? These are the questions that people have. This is the question of the age. I mean, when, when I talk to people, 
This is the stuff people are talking about. Well, what I want to do tonight is talk about it. And I want to help us understand what went wrong. I want to help us understand how did we get to where we are today, to where people can make the decisions that they're making, do the things that they're doing, and in their mind they think this is right, this is plan A. How did we get there? How did we get to the point and especially if, as you get older and people hurt you over time where, where maybe your own heart can be filled with bitterness towards someone. Or maybe you're struggling with trusting someone. Or, or maybe you're struggling to, to understand the world. Maybe you're, you're, you're just so discouraged with life. You're thinking, what is the point? Is this really it? How did, you get, how did we get there? I want to answer those questions. What I want to talk about tonight is something that I believe can answer all those questions. And I'm hoping that that happens for you tonight. And I'm hoping that as we go through this, that, that you'll begin to understand what went wrong. Because you see, what I want to talk about tonight is not just the idea of sin entering the world in a general sense. Because some people will just say, well, hey, Dusty, the obvious answer is, you know, mankind sinned and sin entered the world. And so the whole thing's just falling apart. They say, well, that's true, right? That's a good general summary. But it's actually more detailed than that. And I want to look at that tonight because I want us to be able to have endurance. I want us to be able to understand ourselves. I want us to understand God. I want you to understand Jesus. And I want you to understand how all of this fits together so that when you leave here, if somebody says, why do you think those terrorist groups are cutting people's heads off? You can say, I actually have the answer for that. I'm going to tell you what went wrong. And I'm going to tell you the solution. Okay, so big task, right? Big task. So in order to do this, I need to do two things. First thing I need to do is I need to explain to you what God made when he made man. So that's what we're going to look at first. So when God made Adam and Eve, what did he make and, and how did he design this to work? And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at then what went wrong. So we're going to start with some good news, good description of man. And we're going to look at what went wrong. Okay, We're going to do that by looking first in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to make some observations about Genesis 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. I'm going to read the passages to you. But in Genesis 2, uh, Moses, who's writing the story of what happened in creation, in chapter 1, he kind of gives an overview of all the, the six days of creation. Then in chapter 2, describes the seventh day and the rest that he took. And then what he does is he zeroes in on the creation of man. Now, when I talk about the creation of man, I'm ultimately talking about Adam and then Eve. So from this point forward, when I refer to man, just insert humanity, humankind, whatever you want, a mankind. But I'm just going to use man because that's just what I'm going to use. There's actually no big reason for it. <laughs> I'm just going to use it. So, so, but just insert that in your brain, okay? Humanity. And, and what, what Moses does is he zeroes in. And he begins to describe what God did when he made man. And there are four virtues that, that God put in the creation of man. If you can catch these four virtues, it's going to help you understand a lot. Okay? Let me give you the four virtues. The first virtue that God put... Is it raining? It's not going to cool off, is it? Okay. 
It'll get more humid, right? In Chicago, when the rain comes, like I'm sitting there and I'm feeling dripping. I'm thinking, am I sweating that much that the stuff's hitting my arms? Because that would be great. But then I'm looking down, my Bible's wet. Okay. It's raining. Wow, that's great. All right. Well, I hope it cools you off. And I get a little humidity bubble right here. Be great. So when, when God created man, there's four observations I want to make. And these four observations are four virtues that God placed within man. If you can catch these four virtues, okay, here's the, the thing. If you can see the four virtues that God put into man, you're going to understand what Satan attacked. And when you understand how he attacks those things, it will explain all the problems in the world to you. Big offer there, okay? It'll explain it all. So here's the first virtue. We're, we're good to go with this rain and everything, right? You're all happy, right? We're good with this? Okay. I noticed that the fanning stopped a little bit too. Okay. Here's the first virtue. First virtue is this, that when God made man, he made him, now I'm going to give you a word that won't make sense. He made him an embodied being. An embodied being. Let me, let me read you a text out of uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning of verse 5, then I'll explain it. He said this, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Okay, so he's describing the earth when he first made it, this incredible planet, but it hadn't been cultivated yet because no man was there to cultivate it. And then he goes and he makes man. And there's two things he says about man when he makes man. The first thing is this. He said that he made man from the dust of the earth, different than how he made the rest of the animals. Genesis 1, when he was making the animals, he just said, let there be livestock, and boom, there was livestock. Let there be birds, boom, there were birds. Let there be fish, boom, there was fish. Then man, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, let there be man. He takes dirt and he forms the dirt into man. Now, what does that tell us about us? Well, it tells us that we're material beings. I'm bound to this world. If I go run headlong into that tree, the tree wins, right? I'm just going to crack my head open. I am not like a spirit being that can run through that tree. I'm bound to the laws of physics, right? I can jump as high as I want, but I'll never fly on my own. I'm I'm a material being. That's what he's saying, okay? So from this earth comes the shell. But then he doesn't do this. He doesn't go live. What does it say that he did? He said first, formed him, and then second, he breathed his breath into him. The image is from God himself. His breath comes into man. Now that makes man different than all the rest of the animals. Because now we actually have what we call a soul. That soul is that that spiritual quest that everyone is on. That soul is the ability to to think and to reason. That soul is, is what makes us long for something more than what we have right now. It's the very breath of God. It's life. And it's life that's going to live on for eternity. It's, it's a life. Now, when we talk about life living on eternity, it doesn't mean everyone's going to heaven. There's an eternal life for all. Some will enjoy it in heaven. Others will, will go to hell. But it's both a life that goes on because he breathed that into man. 
Man is different than the rest of the animals, if you think about it. My wife's uncle owns a lot of cattle. He's a cattle farmer. A ton of cattle up in South Dakota. And, uh, and every time we go there, the cattle are doing the same thing. They're standing in the pasture eating grass. Right? And what do they do? They make milk and hamburgers. Right? That's what cattle do. They just, they just, they just sit there and eat. Never have I drove in, uh, driven up to, to South Dakota and drove up to the farm and saw the cattle having a meeting discussing what it means to be a cow. Right? What do you think it means to be a cow? Well, I don't know. We should form an institute and discuss this, right? And you, you don't drive up and see them make a sign, right? The Institute of Cows or whatever. We don't, but we do that. You can get a degree in humanities. You can actually study what it means to be a man. We do that. Why are we the ones that create humanities degrees and cows don't? It's the breath of God. It's the breath of God. God says, I'm putting something in you that's different. Now, the main element of that is described in Genesis 1 when he says, listen, I'm making you this way because I want you to be my image bearer. I want you to reflect me to the world. I want, I want, I want you to show what I'm like. Kind of like your kids, if you have children. Sometimes my kids respond to things and I go, wow, that's exactly how I would have responded. I'm so sorry you got that from me. You know, right? I mean, that happens. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. That element... We get to reflect God, though. I'm creating you in my image. Okay, We're an embodied being, which means that we're a material being that was given the very breath of God that can now reflect His image. And we can show signs of His glory to the world. It's creation. First thing. Second thing that goes into man. And that was like one quick rainstorm. Okay. Second thing that we see is that man is not only an embodied being, but man is a rational being. Man is a rational being. Verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, I'm not going to get into what those words are actually mean. We'll talk about what they mean in a minute. I just want to show you something. When God is talking, he's talking to Adam. And he's using logic. He's saying, okay, let me explain to you the garden. Here's how it works. Here are the rules. Here's the consequences. And he explains it in such a way that he assumes he's going to understand it. And what is totally amazing is that we are rational, logical beings. You can sit here, and if you choose to listen to me, you can hopefully follow my train of thought. Now, if I'm sitting up here, and I and, or standing up here talking to you, and then I just start to babble, saying useless words, you're going to go, hey, you're being irrational. That's what we call it when we cease being rational. If I start banging my head on this music stand for no reason, just you say, man, that is, Scott, how could you be friends with this guy? He's banging his head in a stand. It's irrational. Why would you say that? Because you're rational. You can follow logic. I had a unique experience when my son was about two years old, we were finishing our basement. And uh, I was putting the outlets in the basement. And, uh, and I was with my dad. And I'm like, Dad, typically the black wire is the ground wire. But I'm, I keep, keep thinking the black one's the live wire. Yeah, is that right? You know, in the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the black one's the live wire. So putting these outlets in. About a year and a half later, 
My son is now three and a half. I walk into the living room. He's taking the light socket off. And I'm like, Andrew, stop! And he's like, oh, it's okay, Daddy. The black wire's the live wire. <laughs> I'll take the ground wire off first. I mean, no, you won't. You're not taking any wires. No, I understand how this works, Dad. I watched you do it. He's three and a half years old. It's amazing. How can this guy, this little kid, figure this out? Because God made him a rational being. It's part of who we are. Okay? So we're embodied. Right? We, we're given the breath of God. We're rational. We can, we can follow a logical train of thought. But now there's a third distinction. Okay? There's a third distinction. And that third distinction is that man is a discriminating being. Now, when I say the word discriminating, I don't mean discrimination, though that is what discriminating looks like when it's in sin. But what I mean by that is that we can actually discern choices. We can discern choices. So I know that when I look at this cup here that has my water in it, that I'm not supposed to eat the cup. I know that. And every time I pick up a cup, I can choose to chew on the cup or I can choose to drink out of it, right? I know that. I can make, I can look at, I know this is a cup, I know what it's for, and so when I pick it up, I know how to drink out of it. Not only that, I can discern what I want to wear. You know, I I think about on Sunday mornings and my wife's getting ready to go to church and she's standing there just staring at her closet. What am I going to wear? I don't like any of my clothes, right? It's this whole like experience she goes through of, sorting through her clothes and being dissatisfied with her clothes and, and, and you know, pulling things out. And there's a pile of clothes on the bed, you know. And, and then she has, like, I think certain fallback outfits. You know, when you can't really get the one you want, I know this one works. And she goes to it, right? And uh, some of you are, like, laughing like you've done this before. <laughs> right? She goes through this. But what is going on? She's discriminating. I don't like that outfit. That outfit wouldn't work. That doesn't work for church. She can see all of that. We have that. We also know that in life, I can be in a situation, and I've been in situations where I've, I've been in a counseling session with a couple, like a premarital counseling. And I'll be talking about love and forgiveness, and when you get married, it's important to forgive. And then I go home, and I'm having a little conflict with my wife, and my words are going through my head of what I just said an hour ago to the couple. You got to love, you got to forgive. And then this other side of my brain's going, yeah, but you're right, Leston. You know, hold your ground. You know, like that other side's fighting with it. And it's like, oh, do I love and forgive or do I stand up for what's right? You know, and, and, and that battle goes on in my head. I think it happened to me only once, but, but you know, that battle happens, right? <laughs> that's a, that's a, what is it inside us that we have that? We're discriminating beings. It means we can choose we can look. We can understand. God said, Adam, putting you in this garden. I'm going to put this, all these trees, man. You can eat whatever you want. Just don't eat from that tree. And so every time you pass by that tree, you got to, I'm not eating from that one, but I'll eat from these. Every day that's going on, right? Discriminating. He can see it. Fourth thing, right? So man's an embodied being. He's rational. He's discriminating. There's a fourth thing God put within humanity. God, mankind, is a creative being. We're a creative being. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, 
put them in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. It's interesting that that verse comes before sin. Right? If I told you that I was going to go out and work in my garden today, what would you be thinking I'm doing? Digging up weeds and just, you know, doing all the stuff that you do to take care of a garden. Working means dealing with sin. But God said, Adam, I'm putting you in this garden and I want you to work it and to keep it. What does that mean and what would that look like if there was no sin? Let me explain to you what that means. It's really cool if you've ever, haven't really thought about it. The word work literally means to cultivate something to make it usable. So here's what God did. He said, Adam, I'm a creator, creating you in my image. So I'm going to put you in a planet with a boatload of raw materials. Enjoy yourself. Make something with it. Do something with it. So he put, God put some copper in the earth so he could find the copper and mold a pot. Then put water in it and figure out I could heat that water and then find certain kind of leaves that you can put in the water. When they boil, the leaves fall to the bottom and, the, and all of a sudden the taste of that water changes and he can pour himself a, into a cup and, and make tea. And God designed the earth to do that. God designed the earth to have laws of physics. I was thinking about this as I was on the airplane right over here. I was thinking, you know, God designed this planet with so many laws of physics that some guy by the name of Bernoulli a hundred and some odd years ago figured out high pressures and low pressures. And once he figured out what high pressures do and low pressures do, somebody figured out that you could actually make something fly if you make a wing in a certain direction and move it at a certain speed. These high pressures and low pressures work and it lifts the wings. And I'm flying across from Chicago to here thinking, God, this is like a worship moment, man, because you designed this airplane to fly. And we hit some bumps and the girl next to me Young girl, like a high school age girl, she grabs hold of the thing. And I leaned over, I said, God designed this thing to fly. It ain't going down. It ain't going down. If it's going down, I'll talk to you about it. But it's not going to go down, okay? It's not going down. She was scared. I said, remember in an airplane, this is okay, you know, if it's shaking, if it's doing this. It's only bad if you're doing that, okay? So if we're not doing that, enjoy it. It's a roller coaster because God made it for this thing to fly. God said, man, this is it. Work this thing. I think God had everything on airplanes and, and all this stuff, sound systems and buildings. Just go enjoy it. Why? You're in my image. And I've given you skills. You could be a homemaker. And you might say, well, boy, I'm not out there, you know, moving and shaking some international business deal. It doesn't really matter. You could be at home and you're cultivating your home so that it works and you're Children are being raised with, 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 in, a, in, a, in an environment that makes them flourish. You know what you're doing? You're cultivating the earth and you're worshiping God. It's great, isn't it? It's so cool. So these are the virtues that God put in the man. He said, listen, I'm going to make you embodied. I'm going to breathe my breath into you. I'm going to make you rational so you can understand things. I'm going to make you discriminating so you can choose things. And I'm going to make you creative so that you can do stuff with all these raw materials that I'm giving to you. And the raw materials are incredible. Have at it. That's creation of man. It's incredible, isn't it? Now, what went wrong? Well, let me tell you what went wrong. We have to understand that what, what happened was that Satan 
became was very crafty. That's what Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says. I'll read it here. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So Satan comes in. He's crafty. Now I want to tell you what he did. Here's the key. And now when you understand what he does here, you're going to understand sin, why man sins, why people cut other people's heads off, why you have a hard time forgiving people, why you get mad in traffic jams. You're going to understand all of that. Okay? If you can understand this attack. Here's what Satan did. He attacked two of the four virtues. He attacked only two of them. And when he attacked the two virtues, once that was a successful attack, the other two virtues collapsed. So I want to show that to you, okay? So all he did is he went after two. The first one he went after was the rational being of man. He attacked the rationale of mankind, okay? Notice in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he's talking to the woman. They're hanging out by the tree. And he said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Two things he did there. First thing he did is he created doubt. He gets her to start challenging God. Did God actually say this, right? Putting her on a plane to begin to question God. Did God say this? It's amazing when Jesus was with Peter, he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And Peter says, oh, don't, they're going to kill you. He said, get behind me, Satan. I'm not entertaining that thought. I'm not going down the road of questioning the plan of God. Bad starting point. So he puts this doubt. Did God really say this? Second thing that he did is he distorted the word of God. He said this. He said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, in Genesis 2, the ESV is not the best translation of this, but, but uh, in Genesis 2, verse 16, God said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. The word surely actually means freely, abundantly. Definitely, like, it's like a, an emphatic term. That's why he said, if you eat of this, you'll surely die. Emphatic, like, abundantly die. Like, this is horrible death. Right? It's like abundant, aggressive. So if you say, hey, eat freely of the table, right? You have a whole group of, like, teenagers right up front. And you say, teenagers, you go first, eat freely, no one else will eat. Right? It's unlimited. Like, there was no Weight Watchers in the garden. Like, just stand there and just consume. And when you're done, if you want to consume more, consume. God said, Adam, Eve, eat whatever you want, as much as you want, as long as you want, just not of that tree. That's what he said. Satan comes in and says, did God say all the trees were off limit? Right? Very negative question. Right? It's just negative. Did God say you couldn't eat from any tree? Now, at that moment, starting to mess with her rational thinking. Now we're in a, maybe there's like a cattle think tank over there. You hear them moving over there? <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, those are cattle over there, right? Okay. Sorry, I'm like easily distracted when I hear cows. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I just want them to think about themselves a little more. They just don't. So Satan comes in. 
and he starts this negative train of thought. And he goes down the way to such a degree that now, if Eve starts to follow that train of thought and starts to engage it, there's no good end. I want you to think about this. Have you ever been in a situation with somebody who's mad at someone else? They're mad. I mean, they're just, somebody said something, got them mad. And so they come to you and they start talking about that person. Can you believe they said this to me? Can you believe they did this to me? Blah, 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 blah. Now, when you st- and that person's coming to you, if you entertain them, question for you, does that conversation usually end with you praying for the person? I mean, does it usually end with, well, man, let's just pray for their soul right now. You know, just get out, like, does it end that way? No, it usually ends with you hating the person, right? Like, oh, I can't believe them. And then what do you do? You go find someone else. You know what? I was talking to so-and-so. You wouldn't believe what happened. Right? And, and it just goes on. That's what a negative thought does. Because we're rational beings. Once we get on a logical train, we don't get off it. So here's a logical train. God, question him right now. Did he really say this? Is he really the kind of God that would withhold all this food from you so you can't eat? So she doesn't say, get behind me. She answers. But she's already going down the negative train of thought. I'm going to read her answer. I want you to listen for what she left out of the answer. You know, she's going to try to defend God here. But she leaves something out and she adds something. Here's her answer in verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So the add-on, you can figure out, right? What's the add-on? What did she add to the, to the command? Touch it, right, exactly. God didn't say you couldn't touch it, man. They could have built a tree house in that tree. They just couldn't eat of it, that's all. Right, go play with it. Just don't eat the fruit, that's all. But what did she, what did she omit? Her answer is this. She said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. That's not what God said. He said, freely eat surely eat like consume to your heart's content that's just not eat that's go for it jump in the pool of food and enjoy it that's the emphasis but she says no we can eat of the tree but that one we can't even touch it now what has she done she takes the blessing of god she starts to narrow it She takes the prohibition of God. She starts to widen it. God suddenly seems a bit tougher. Not as gracious as he really is, and a lot tougher. Once you're on that train of thought, it's going to be very easy to disobey him. Because if God really isn't blessing you, this prohibition is kind of hard to live by. There's got to be another way. Right? So what's he do, man? He's starting to get her. He's attacking that rationale. Got her on a bad track. Well, then what happens? Okay, we'll keep rolling here. What happens next? Before he moves in for the kill, he attacks the second virtue, the embodied nature of mankind. The embodied nature of mankind. Remember, we we had the breath of God so we could reflect his nature. Now he says this to her. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman... You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, 
knowing good and evil. What's he do? I'm going to show you how he attacks the embodied nature. First, he has to substitute his word for God's word. God says, you'll die. He says, no, you won't. So there's the lie. There's the heresy. Second thing he does is he questions God's goodness. Right? God knows that if you eat of this, your life's going to get better, man. He's holding something back from you. He hasn't given you everything you need. Right? And that's so, boy, that's just in us, isn't it? Do you realize you have everything you need in your life right now to bring glory to God? You need nothing else. Whatever you're thinking you need, you don't need. But we don't really believe that. Because this is where the sin comes from. God's holding back. And then he says this. He says, not only is God holding back, you're going to benefit if you break God's command. There's like a blessing. It's actually good to go against God. So just go for it. And then the final thing he does is then he redefines divinity. He says, here's what's going to happen. If you eat of this thing and you get this knowledge of good and evil, once you get this, man, you're not just an image bearer. You're like God. Meaning this, you can become a God. Little G God. He wasn't offering ultimate God, but he was offering a form of divinity. A form of divinity. Now, once you believe that, that is precisely why we get mad at traffic jams. Why do you get mad at a traffic jam? You get mad at a traffic jam because you got someplace you need to be. And these people are absolutely being rude by not getting out of your way. You see, when we pull out of our driveway, we want to be like the president, man. We want everything to part. We want police officers guiding us. It doesn't matter. We're going to go through all the stoplights because, hey, we're in charge of our life. You see, we think we're God. We think we're a God, a form of a God. If that lightning gets closer, I'm whipping this thing off, just so you know. It was lightning over there, wasn't it? Okay. See, that's the issue right there. Now you can become like God. Let's redefine divinity. Now, I want you to notice, Satan's done talking. He absolutely does not need to tell her to eat. He never told her to eat from the fruit. All he did was he messed with her logic Got her down a bad road. Offered a blessing that she doesn't have to be an image bearer of God. She can become like a God. If she believes it, the other two virtues will fall. How so? Notice what happens in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband with her and he ate. Rational, our rational thinking ties into our choices. If God can't be trusted, if God is wretched and horrible, then don't follow him because there's no good that comes from it. And then the very end of the story, I'll just sum it up here. The very end of the story, after they eat of the fruit, what happens? What do they do? They notice they're naked and they took the creation. And what did they do with the creation? Rather than doing something to be an image bearer of God, with the creation, the first thing Adam and Eve make are clothes to cover their sin. So their discriminating nature was used to choose against God. Their creative nature is now used to cover their sin. The other two virtues collapsed. Now let's wrap it up. What does all this have to do with the sinfulness of man? When Adam and Eve sinned, an amazing thing happened. This beautiful creation that we have. 
this amazing thing called a human being, this, this amazing creation that is created to reflect the glory of God, is no longer wanting to cook, uh, reflect the glory of God. They want to reflect their own glory. This amazing creation no longer wants to use their rationale to think and understand God. They now use their rationale to fight against God. They want to use their choice no longer to choose what is glorious and, and good for others. They want to use it to choose for themselves and their own selfishness. And we use our creativity to express ourselves rather than reflect God. Why would a gunman go into a church and kill people? Because he doesn't understand that God made every human being and he's now using his discriminating choice to say this human is worse than this human. That's why he did it. Why do terrorists cut people's heads off? Terrorists cut people's head off because they think they're God. They don't realize Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. They've messed up the embodied nature of man. It just keeps going. Why do you have a hard time at home forgiving? You have a hard time at home forgiving because you go down a rational plane that's based upon your own sense of justice, not God's sense of love. Why don't you forgive? Because you don't want to forgive because you want everybody to center our life around you because you think you're God. See, this is what goes on all the way through. Every sin, it ties back to one of those four virtues. So what's the solution? I'll wrap it up here, lest we die from the thunder and lightning here. It's this. I want you to catch this. There are four things that I think we need to realize. Jesus Christ came not just to change your eternal address, from P.O. Box Hell to P.O. Box Heaven. He, that's part of it. But he also came to restore those four virtues. That you would see yourself as not somebody that is a God, that is your agenda, your life, your, your, your world is going to be put out there for everyone to serve. You're going to see yourself as an embodied being reflecting his nature. That you're going to use your logic to start thinking through, as Paul says, letting the Bible transform the way you think so that your logic is God's logic and you start responding to the world the way God designed you to respond. And once your logic starts getting renewed, you're investing in it and, and Jesus just gives you the, the spiritual life to be able to do that, then all of a sudden, evil is evil. It's no longer good. And righteousness is righteousness and you start to find yourself using your discriminating nature for that. And then you realize that the creative skills that you have are not used to express yourself. They're used to worship God. That's what redemption is bringing. It's restoring those four virtues that were attacked. What I would challenge us to do, and then I'm just going to pray here, and Scott will come up, finish this up, is this. As you look at your life and you look at the way you respond to things, whether it's something as small as a little white lie from your perspective or deep anger in your heart or having a hard time forgiving a parent, it's all inside of you because those virtues being attacked. If you're afraid and you're acting out of fear, if you're angry and you're acting out of anger, all of that is coming because we forget that this is God's world and we're his image bearer. What I would call upon you to do is say, Jesus, man, restore those virtues the way you designed them. Restore them in me so that I could reflect your glory because that's the power of the cross.